Welcome to the very first episode of Remember, a podcast about building community. I'm Carla Salter. We humans face a lot of critical challenges globally and in our nations, states, cities, and neighborhoods. And we can't solve any of them without strong communities. To put it more positively, strong communities are the answer to many of the problems that plague us. Building community is a means of resistance, and it's the first step on the path to a just, safe, resilient planet. In this podcast, we'll explore ways to build strong communities in our own contexts and talk with people who are already doing it in theirs. Still with me? Let's go. First, what do I mean by community? We experience community in lots of different ways, including these days through the internet. But for the purposes of this podcast, community is a robust, connected, compassionate network, usually, but not always, in a particular physical location like a town or a neighborhood, or even in a, in a smaller setting such as a school or a block. Community is more than just knowing your neighbors. It requires interdependence, inclusivity, sacrifice, and cooperation. It is building a life with other people you share space with. In the United States in 2017, we're starving for this kind of community, but we're so busy getting through the day that we don't have time to notice, let alone do something about it. Community is necessary for individual well-being. We all need support networks to get by, folks who will cook for us when we're sick, or lend us money, or watch our kids, or listen to us vent after a long day, or hold us up in whatever ways are necessary when we are experiencing a major crisis. But as I said, community is also critical to the greater good. Every urgent priority you can think of requires organization and cooperation, from blocking fossil fuel projects, to providing healthcare for everyone who needs it, to funding our schools, to fighting displacement, and providing housing for all. We can't take care of each other or our planet without knowing and being known, communicating, collaborating, creating, and sharing. And I would argue that the more we know each other, the more likely we are to want to care for each other. And right now, at a time when we need each other more than ever, with pipelines being built without the consent of the people they will impact, an entire American city's water supply poisoned, climate change manifesting in lots of scary ways around the world, an utterly broken political system, extreme inequality, corporate control of just about everything, healthcare and education being dismantled before our eyes, displacement and homelessness, and just to top it off, the threat of nuclear war. Right now, at this critical time, we are more disconnected than ever. Many of us find ourselves overworked and overwhelmed, missing the daily interactions that sustain us. We don't know our neighbors or participate civically or have intergenerational connections. And I'll talk more about that a little later. So folks, we need to start connecting with each other right now. We need to start building our communities right now. Since this is the first episode of my podcast, I should probably explain how it got its name. A few months ago, I was watching a talk by a writer I admired. And she said that one of the two most commonly used words in the Bible is remember. I have no idea if that's true, 
but it doesn't really matter. What I found powerful is how she interpreted the word. According to this writer, remember is the opposite of dismember. To remember is to come together to experience the oneness we were created for. Wow, I love that. But also as a nostalgic type and a student of history, I'm also pretty committed to the standard kind of remembering. I do a lot of remembering and reminiscing. <laughs> remembering what happened in the past is critical to understanding how to survive and take care of each other in the present moment. This is especially true in the United States, a country that is unwilling to confront its legacy of genocide, slavery, and exploitation of the natural world and human beings. It is especially true in my hometown, Seattle, Washington, a city so enamored of the new, it bulldozes and papers over landmarks and memories and meanings. To remember is to acknowledge, confront, and honor our complicated past as we chart a path toward our collective future. So in this podcast, the goal is to remember and remember. So now a little bit about me. As I said, my name is Carla Salter. I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. And you might hear me pounding my chest a little bit because that's what I do every time you mention my city, every time I mention my city. I'm a writer. Most of the time I describe myself as a writer slash writer, as in bus writer. I've written fiction, personal essays, opinion, technical documents, because those tend to be what pay the bills, and lots of other stuff. But most of the people, of the few, of the handful of people who have heard of me or know who I am, most of them know about me because of my blog, Bus Chick, which I've been writing for over 11 years, and um, in case you haven't gathered, is about riding the bus. One thing about me, which many of my loved ones, and most, actually most people I know, consider a bit weird, is that I love the bus. I don't love every bus experience or every ride, but I love the, the entire concept of the bus. I love it as a contribution to our community in general and to my life in particular. I've been riding buses in Seattle and King County for my entire life, and I haven't owned a car since 2003. I am married to a man I met on the bus. Well, that's the short version of the story. I don't have time to tell you the long one. For our purposes, we met on the bus. Uh, and we have two kids who are seven and nine. And as a family, we mostly walk and bus to get around. Occasionally, I've been branching out a little and occasionally trying bikes, trying to ride my bike, although I have extreme fear of traffic. So that's still a pretty occasional um, endeavor. And most of the time, we walk and bus. So I have to add, since I'm talking about my family, I have to add that we also had a foster son who is now four, and he's been reunified with his family, which is wonderful. But he's in my heart he's still part of our family so whenever I I talk about my kids I have to mention him my other baby and also because we've as a family decided to start doing some respite care and some short-term placements so at any given on any given episode I might have more than two kids so what does all this have to do with the theme of this podcast so I'm glad you asked the past 15 years of living without a car have been, in a, in a really weird way, the catalyst that's caused me to recognize my own need for community and also to examine how community is and is not practiced in our current culture. Not having a car has helped me build community in a lot of ways I would otherwise not have done. 
Certainly my time on buses and at stops has been a big part of that. The solidarity I experience on the bus, the big and small interactions with other human beings make me feel more connected to the people I share the city with. This is most of what I love about the bus and easily my favorite thing to write about on my blog. But also, not having a car has forced our family to spend more, really most of our time in our neighborhood. So obviously, depending on what the adults' job situations are, we almost always are commuting by bus out of our neighborhood to work. But, and we definitely get around for special events and adventures, but we try to keep our day-to-day non-work life very local. So we shop at local stores, we go to the library a lot, the kids' school is the neighborhood school, which is a half a mile away. We use the community center, we use the parks, we know our neighbors, and it just really adds a richness to our lives to be so integrated, so deeply integrated into what's right in front of us instead of you know, getting in the car and leaving to, to look for something different or better. So that's been great. It's really, it's really been a wonderful thing for our family. On the other hand, not having a car has also been a real disconnecting force for all the reasons that you might imagine. And especially for me, because I have family and friends across the region. Uh, This is thanks in part to housing costs in the city of Seattle, and just in part to people going where their lives take them. So I have a brother in my one brother and his family live in Tacoma. Another brother and his family have, are moving actually this weekend to Snohomish County. I have friends in Renton, Federal Way, Kirkland, Bothell, unincorporated King County, and all over the city. It's hard to see folks regularly when it's challenging and time-consuming to get to them. Now, I've learned that I won't even be able to get to my one brother in Snohomish County uh, by bus, but my other brother, I've, I've been able to visit him by bus in Tacoma, and we actually do. We do visit him by bus, but... I'm not really going to stop by for a spontaneous Sunday dinner in January when it's dark early and it's probably raining and on a good day it's going to take us three hours each way. We're just simply not as spontaneously mobile as other people and this means that we don't get to see our loved ones as much as we'd like. This doesn't mean there's something inherently wrong or inconvenient about bus travel. It's just that the way we've built our transportation system this kind of trip is difficult and time-consuming and really not workable for most people. So I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, The point is that cars are all but required for physically connecting with others in most places in the modern United States. And ironically, they're also a big part of the reason that we are more disconnected than ever. And I don't want to spend too much time nerding out about the built environment and how cars impact our communities. Okay, actually, I do want to do that, but I'm going to try to keep the discussion broader. So I, the main idea here is that life on the ground without a car has caused me to pay attention to this kind of stuff more than perhaps someone who drives to get around would. But cars are far from the only problem. And in some ways, I feel like they're more of a symptom of some bigger cultural issues, such as this country's history of colonialism and racism of you, this, our history of using the concept of race to pick winners and losers, who has access, who has citizenship. 
our understanding of the earth as a resource to be exploited, our idea of private property as the highest value, all of these things have contributed to the disconnectedness that we're living with now, and also I would argue have contributed a lot to our car culture. There's also the fact that Americans spend a lot of their time working. In a lot of cases, this is because people aren't earning a living wage and they have to either work more than one job or more than 40 hours a week just to pay the rent, just to get by. And this is obviously extremely relevant in a city like Seattle where uh, rents are just far outstripping people's incomes. But even the highly paid workers who can afford the rents and have also a lot of disposable income, even those people have very little leisure time. These people tend to have the kinds of jobs that require them to work long hours and be available 24-7. If a customer needs something or something breaks, whatever it is, you need to be available to help fix it. So in either case, folks don't have a lot of time or energy to devote to their communities. They're focused on working and then resting or spending time you know, with their immediate families. So then there's our lack of rootedness speaking of family. Americans move around a lot. And I think this is in part because of the cultural legacy we have of the frontier. Um, people always kind of searching for new opportunities and new way to make a name for themselves to, to become something, to, to find a way to get rich. These kinds of things, these ideas are sort of embedded in our culture. And in the, in this sort of settler mentality has made places somewhat interchangeable and less important, say, than building a career, finding a new opportunity. So that's that's part of it. That's part of the reason that, that we move. But another is just simply because people are forced to migrate either because, say, the factory in your town has closed and so there aren't any jobs and you, you must move to find work, or many people migrate to the United States because they're fleeing something in, in their own country. Maybe it's political persecution or a natural disaster of some sort. But regardless, the end result has been a lot of communities where people are living far from their extended families in places where they don't have roots or networks. Another issue that's disconnecting us is the corporate control of pretty much everything. Corporations control almost everything about our lives and even the physical spaces where we live. So companies like Energy Transfer Partners, the company behind the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, Amazon and Walmart, which obviously have a big influence on the small businesses that are available to us in our own communities, to Nestle, which is exploiting freshwater resources in Michigan, these companies have far more to say about what happens in our own communities than we do. So, whew, obviously that's just a surface overview of the problem, but it's enough to give a little taste of the current and historical forces that have brought us to this place. If we want to fight back, we first need to understand what we're working toward. So as I mentioned before, we're gonna, we want robust, resilient, inclusive communities where we take care of each other. But what does that look like? To be honest, I'm not sure I know. Just like it's hard to build a strong marriage when you've never witnessed a healthy relationship, it's hard to build a strong community if you've never been part of one. And though I feel like I've been part of 
wonderful efforts and attempts and I am part of lots of community building in my own context I don't feel like I've I've been in what it is I'm looking for that I've been a part I don't feel that I've been a part of what it is I am searching for and envisioning so we are going to need to have a vision probably more like visions because what a strong community looks like will be very contextual but we're going to need to have visions to strive toward before we start looking at what are the big and small steps we can take to move ourselves toward these visions in future episodes of this podcast i will invite guests to explore these questions with me with us these guests might be experts on a particular topic like organizing or housing, or they might be folks who are just doing great work where they are. I hope that our discussions will inspire you, will give you ideas and direction to take back to the communities you are a part of. And as we work toward healthier, more just, more whole communities, we will be helping to build a healthier, more just, more whole planet. Let's remember so we can resist Rebuild, renew, and then rejoice. Thanks, everyone.